1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this, but the end, this is the amplified version. But the end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Verse 8, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Proverbs, that's pretty much a quote from Proverbs 10, 12, where it says, love covers a multitude of sin. Verse 9, practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way, who are Christ's body, of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. You know, this right here, I'll preach for days. Just this small part right here, because you could bring in 1 Corinthians 13 and tie it in where it talks about his kind of love. But I want to keep reading. Verse 10, as each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. He said, as each of you has received a gift, a a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. Wow. He said, each of us have a gift. You know, I'm convinced one thing the Lord wants us to understand is the value that he's placed on the inside of us, therefore the value that we have to him and to the world around us. Amen. Thank you, Adam. I'm glad I got you on the front row. You know, over the uh, three, four weeks, I've been speaking a lot about trees and roots, and, and uh, I don't, I guess I do know why, because the Lord's trying to get some stuff rooted in me. But I haven't been able to get away from that. It seems like every time I turn around, I'm, I'm looking at that again. And uh, we're going to look in John 15. We're going to look in Colossians. We're going to look in Ephesians. Uh, so put your seatbelt on, your tray table's up, <laughs> and uh, we're going to take off. Because I believe the Lord is wanting to say a lot to us as his body and, and, um, and the importance of the body in the earth today. And when I say body, I don't just mean the river I mean the body of Christ, those who know him as Savior and Lord. It's bigger than this place. That's why we're connected with with, uh, Pastor Adam and the friendship that we have and how we do ministry and pray one for another. And that's why I meet with pastors regularly to pray together and to encourage one another because this is not, it doesn't begin and end with us here. He has a body that's much bigger than us that we're privileged to be a part of, but to do the work that he's called us to do, it's going to take this body. That's why he said what he did there in First Peter about us being uh, loving one another, especially those who are the household of faith. And he said that each of you have a gift, so implore it. Use it for the, for the body, not for ourselves. I'm convinced that as the church awakened again in the uh, early 1900s to the gifts of the Spirit and things like that, what God wanted to do in the body and through the body, it was a fire that was released. We know Azusa Street. We know there was this huge fire that was released of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And I think what 
happened in that is people got out of relationship and into religion and tried to create a mold to keep God in. And in doing that, they left the the power that was released on the inside of them, and they, we, we, bait, we have developed all these uh, formulas. And in that, one of the things that happened, I believe, this is Todology, one of the things that I believe that happened is we got consumed with the gifts that were on the inside of us, and you see giftings that got promoted and people that weren't established to be able to hold the gifting that got promoted. You see that throughout church history. That's not a fault to them. That's not a condemnation to them. But I think one of the things that happened, the reason those things happened is because what the Lord has had me in about the importance of these redwood trees and about these roots that are knit together. They're, in, they're entangled together because there's giftings. Romans says the gifting and callings of God are without repentance. That means when God put a gift in somebody, he's not like, oh, snap. I didn't know they would act like that. I got to get that back. No, that's not how he works. Praise the Lord. He said, no, I've given you a gift. As a matter of fact, our responsibility of the gifts placed in us, whether that be a gift of giving. Don't, don't get caught up on the spiritual, the nine spiritual gifts. I'm talking about the gift. He said, there's a gift of giving. There's a gift of hospitality. And he said, when you do it, you do it with all your heart. The redwood tree, the biggest in America, some of the biggest in the world. For those who haven't been here, I, I, when I've shared this, the thing about the redwood, they always grow in groves. They can grow, uh, the, the top can be 300 feet around, and they can be over 300 feet tall. That's pretty impressive. I've, I haven't ever been beside anything like that, personally. I haven't ever been beside it. The bark on a redwood is a foot thick. A foot thick. And... Uh, the, but the beauty of these, they grow in groves, and their roots, as I said uh, before, and I'll just share again, if the canopy of the tree is 300 foot wide, the roots are 900, 900 foot wide, and they grow in groves, and they're not 900 feet apart. Are you with me? You can, you can see, and uh, if I'd have really been... A, if I'd have been good like Adam, Adam's really good with illustrations and videos and things like that. I'd have pictures of redwoods and groves up here right now, but that's not my thing. And uh, you go home and look it up. That's your homework. Go look up redwood and sequoia trees, and you see how they grow. But these things, the roots go, and, they're, and, they, and it says, as you read about them, that their roots intertwine with each other, and that's where their strength is. Because the, the importance of the bark being a foot thick, it actually says, as you study the redwood, that fire is good for the redwoods. They're not uh, fireproof, but they are fire retardant. And what that means is if a fire's there long enough and hot enough, it will burn the tree. But for the most, it'll burn the bark. And there's even pictures of redwood trees that have holes burned all the way through them, but they're still alive and vibrant. And the reason is because their root system, even though they're scarred and damaged, they're still connected to life. And they're connected to one another. You say, you're talking about a stinking tree. Yes, it's a tree created by our creator. And throughout scriptures, he, he uh, parallels us with trees and about being trees. And I share those scriptures. I won't go back 
for sake of time. It talks about us being, uh, Proverbs says that he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in a season. And whatever he does will not prosper. That may be Psalms. It's in Psalms. It's in Proverbs. He talks about us being a tree and, and that this tree brings forth fruit. And as I was, no pun intended, digging into this, the Lord continued to have me, have me look at the roots you know, here's the thing about a root. A tree can be beautiful, whether it be an oak tree or, or something, uh, whatever tree that you like. One I do not like is a pin oak. I'll, they're about second to a mosquito to me. <laughs> Just saying, those little leaves. Get down in the fan on your car. I'm sorry, I'm back. But no matter what, your tree is that you prefer, that you like. They're beautiful, but you know, as pretty as they are, there's a lot of ugly things under the ground that keep them the way they are. How many ever planted a, tr- uh, a plant upside down just so you could see the roots? Man, I just love, have you seen how pretty the roots are on this plant? We don't do that. You know, uh, I've seen people who will plant things. My, my mother-in-law and her brother, uh, they could plant. Her brother, Uncle Paul, he's with the Lord now, but he could root anything. We would go see him, and Tina would say, that's pretty. You want one? Snap. He'd snap it off, put it in water, leave it there a little bit, and it'll root, and then you can plant it in the ground. We have hosta now from, from him that he gave us off of something he had, and these, these things are this big now. They're mammoth, but he could root anything, and he would put it in water, and you would, in the water, you would see the roots start growing down and start coming out. And then he'd say, all right, now you got to get it in the, in the soil so it can get the nutrients it, gets, it needs. And here's the thing about the soil. It's not pretty. It's dark. It's moist if it's good. And some of it doesn't smell too good. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> but it's the root that brings the life. And I'm convinced it's the root in the church that's withered. You look at the church and many of them look pretty on the outside. This is not a judgmental. I'm not standing here in judgment because I don't don't have it figured out. I'm just going to tell you. Point blank, I do not have it figured out, but I'm figuring it out as I go and I'm excited about the journey. But we can see, and I'm not just talking about pretty buildings. I'm talking about how you can see in churches, how it comes together and everybody has to look nice and dress nice and smell nice and it has to be pretty, but there's no root system to sustain what God really wants to do in the place. And when the weight of the presence of the Lord comes in his presence, if it's the wind of the Holy Spirit blows in the place, it'll blow people over and they go, this is weird, this is crazy, I don't understand it, I don't want it. But it's because there's not this root system that the Lord wants us to have. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'll begin reading with verse 14 through 21. Very familiar passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I make this as a prayer of declaration over our church every morning. He says, this is Paul writing, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What did he call us? A family. He said the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So whether we understand it or not, we're a family. 
He said in heaven and in earth. So it doesn't mean just a family in the river. It means that we're a family as a body of believers. Verse uh, 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. He said in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And then verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but what he's saying is, is I want you to encounter this love that you're to be rooted and grounded in that passes mere, the mere ability to attain to it with knowledge. That's clear as mud, right? What I mean is this. He said, I want you to understand. I want you to encounter my love that goes far beyond what you can comprehend with your mind. I believe the place that we ultimately encounter that love is not in a warm, fuzzy feeling in a worship service or or a, a big event, or a, a, could be a revival. But it's when we accept Jesus as our Savior, and we realize the condition that we're in apart from Him, and that He loves us anyway. That He accepts me as I am, not based on any merit that I have, not on any works that I perform, but based on the free gift of the love of God demonstrated through Jesus Christ. That He selflessly gave Himself for me, He said, I want you to encounter that love that passes the, your mere ability to understand or comprehend with your mind. Paul wasn't describing just a, a casual acquaintance with God's love. He was speaking of an intimate understanding and experiential knowledge of the depths of God's love. Just as a tree's roots provide it with stability and nourishment, so also our revelation of God's love is the foundation on which everything else we receive from God is built. So an understanding of God's love, not his tolerance for me, his love for me. As we understand that God loves me, and if we have to say it this way, in spite of me, that God loves me in spite of me, and in spite of my uh, failures and insecurities, God loves me. Why does God love me? Because it's who he is. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Verse 15 says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's pretty good. So it is wrong for you to say you're worthless and you're just an old sorry sinner, even when you sin. Because God is love and love lives in you and love has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's just look at this again. He said, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God or love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And you say, oh man, this is one of those love messages. You really should have been here last week on Mother's Day so you can just pour the love on. Love is who he is. I'm not, I, here's what saddens me. There's so many words in our vernacular that need to be redeemed because they've been reduced down to just sticky sweet stuff. And love is one of those. You know, I've shared this so many times. We love a lot of things. We love chocolate. Wait. Amen. <laughs> Let's marinate on that a minute. We love a good filet mignon. Filet mignon. <laughs> Just mess it. We love a good piece of mahi-mahi. Four minutes on one side, four minutes on another. My boy John taught me how to cook mahi-mahi. Put it on the grill, set the timer, close the grill. I'm like, dude, you got to watch that. He said, I'm watching it. <laughs> Flipped it over, shut the grill. That's the Lord. <laughs> we love a lot of things. So when we read a passage like this and it talks about God's love for us, what we'll do is we'll equate it. And many times we equate it to a natural love. And sometimes that's not a good thing because there are many who had people who said they loved you, but that love was very twisted, abusive. It was always taking and never giving. So when we hear that God loves us, we go, yep, that's what I thought. He just wants me for what he can take from me. I don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's the mentality we have because we don't understand this love. this sacrifice. And he gives us a clear picture of what that looks like. He said, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That's pretty tight. If you don't love, you don't know God. <laughs> I'm glad he said it. If you don't love, you don't know God. This isn't, oh, I'm just... Emotionally stirred up about you right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a love that says, I can take no account of a wrong suffered. Because I understand what true love is. Because true love hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. The ones who had just crucified him and nailed him to the cross. The ones who had beat him. Do you understand what Jesus went through for us? Do you understand that even under Roman law, they did not whip you 
with the cat of nine tails and crucify you. Study, church, study history. They would do either or. If they thought you were worthy of crucifixion, they would not whip you, then crucify you. They would just crucify you. But Jesus, so that Isaiah could be fulfilled when he said that by his stripes you are healed. They striked him. And he said, Psalm says they made their furrows long. There's not a bone in my body that's not exposed. Who was it that produced the Passion of the Christ? Mel Gibson caught all this flack because they talked about how gruesome. It it didn't even hold a light to what he really went through because he said his visage was not that of a man. You couldn't even tell he was a man. He was so marred because of the price and the cost of sin for us. See, he did not sin, he became sin. The one who was pure, righteous, and holy, who was love personified in the flesh, became sin, not a sinner. So that we could become righteous and that we could become holy, not holy rollers. There was an exchange A divine exchange took place where his righteousness and holiness was put on us and our sin was placed upon him. And he was beaten and bruised and stripped and ashamed so that we never have to be ashamed again. He was condemned so we never have to be condemned again. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He bore that. They they whipped him on that post. And then they mocked him and they crucified him. For you and for me. So that the love of God could be placed on the inside of us. So that we could love others. That's why 1 Corinthians says that love, his kind of love... God's love, who he is, what he embodied here on the earth, that kind of love takes no account of a wrong suffered. That kind of love believes the best of every person. What do you mean they believe the best of every person? That means when somebody walks in, you don't immediately start making your judgments of the right and the ability they have to be here or to be with you or around you. And not just here, out there. I told you last, last time I said, I'm not perfect. My shoes came untied. We create these sterile environments because they keep us safe. And what I see with Jesus is just the opposite. He was constantly among those that were dirty and despised, that downcast, that no one else wanted to be around. Jesus said, I'll go be with them. He was even accused. He's the one who, who eats with the publicans and the sinners. <laughs> Thank God. Of, of which, so were you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, we thank. I'm sorry. For the love of God. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. 
So if you've ever said, I just can't love that person, there's an area of your life you don't understand the love of God. I'm not saying that you're not born again, that you don't know Jesus, but I'm saying you don't know God in that area. And here's what happens. We compartmentalize God. We know God and we love God in church. But when we walk out of church and we walk in the workplace where there are those people who are hard to get along with, and we go, I just can't love those people, then we don't know God in that area in our lives. And you know what's sad? They won't know God either. Because you refuse to show him to them. If God is love, and he is, right, and we are intimately connected with him, the life of who he is flows out of us. Just as a root is as vital a part of the tree as the top where that grabs the sun, the leaves and all that 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 grab the sun, and, and the root system is the foundation. And from that root system, from that foundation, the life goes up into the tree. And as we allow the love of God to have first place in our lives, I'm telling you, it affects every area. And here's the thing with love. Here's where we miss it. We think love is an emotion that's just always warm and fuzzy. That's not true. My daughter will tell you that love's not always warm and fuzzy. Now, I'll tell you this. My daughter wasn't one that had to be disciplined a lot. She's an amazing young lady. And I'm not saying that because she's here. I'm saying it's because of the truth. Many times I've gone to the Lord and said, Lord, you made her better than I parented. I'm just telling the truth. But it's because of her relationship to the Lord. Sometimes love is, seems hard. Sometimes love seems difficult. Sometimes love seems uncaring because we're looking at it from an emotional standpoint instead of the perspective of truth. Love says, I care enough about you not to let you stay this way. I care enough about you to not let you continue in this lifestyle. I care enough about you that you may not see the reality of it right now. Uh, Cam said it yesterday at the graduation in an amazing way, and I won't try to, to quote it because I'd mess it up because he's a, that's a storytelling rascal right there, man. I'm going to tell you what's the truth. But he talked about how kids sometimes think your parents are just crazy. Because they see things from a perspective, either they've walked through or they have friends that's walked through, and they don't want you to walk through the same thing. We, you do not have to learn on the school of hard knocks. He said these things were written for your example, that you can learn by them. We can look at the children of Israel and what it is to be hard-headed and to say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. I know what you said, but I'm going to do it my way. He said, okay, take another lap. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you 40 years of lapping because you refused when I told you I'll take you in 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 40 days. You said no. So, okay, I'm going to give you a year for a day. Wait, got time out. Flag on the play. Mm -mm. That's not fair. He said, no, I had it for you. I told you I've given it to you. You You do not have to learn from the school of hard knocks. You can learn from the truth of the scriptures. You can learn from the testimony of a brother. But we will not do that. I'm telling you what I know. We will not do that if we don't understand the love of God in our lives. We will throw away a brother and just say, well, he just had no character. He really wasn't even born again at all, or he would have never done that. 
And we'll throw them away and we'll say, there's no value in what he did for me. And the whole time the Lord's saying, I didn't cause him to stumble, but I can redeem it. There's one guy who was pretty important in scripture who fell big, huge, major. There's a lot of them. Matter of fact, if you read this book, it's amazing what God dealt with. But this one, to the place that he denied Christ and, and swore, cursed, that he didn't know him. But Jesus looked at him before all that, and he said, Peter, when you repent, when you turn, not when you crawl across broken glass in penance, not when you pray and fast enough that I can forgive you. No, when you change your mind and your direction about your self-sufficiency, I'm going to use you. And we look, you know, I'm, I've told you, it's a good thing I'm not God, right? That's a good thing. If, if I was God, you'd be seeing people just spontaneously combust. <laughs> They'd mock me, curse me, and stuff like that, and you just go, Poof. <laughs> What do you think about that? <laughs> I want fireworks? Watch this. I'm glad I'm not God. Because if I was God, I would have chosen John. I'd have chosen John on the day of Pentecost. John's the beloved. He's the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a man who understood love and understood he was loved. You understand that's only said in John's gospel? The disciple whom Jesus loved? It's not arrogance. That's confidence in knowing who Jesus is to him. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had it. He was the one who was there when Jesus was being crucified with his mother. And Jesus looked and said, behold your mother, and woman, behold your son. It was John. If I was going to give somebody the awesome privilege on the day of Pentecost when I was going to pour out my spirit and change the world forever, I'd have chose John. He took care of mama. He was there with me. He laid his head on my breast on my chest to just pour his love out on me. It'd be John. Sure as you're born. He said, I'm going to use Peter. The one who sometimes talks before he thinks. No, Peter doesn't do that. Mark chapter 9. I'm not going to go there for a second time. Mark chapter 9, Mount of Transfiguration. They go up. Enoch and Elijah and Moses. Enoch and Elijah, sorry. Moses and Elijah, Enoch and Elijah is going to be the two witnesses that come back. They're the only two men who hadn't died. If you believe, if it's Moses and Elijah, you believe it's that, you're wrong. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a little commercial there. Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter, you read it in the scripture, says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said, let's build three tabernacles and stay here. You ever done that? Not said, let's build three tabernacles and stay here. But have you ever been in a situation where you're a little nervous, you know, and you just said something, you go, oh, snap, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't said anything like that. I wonder if I just look at the ground, they'll just think I didn't really say it. <laughs> Not know where that came from. I don't know. Peter, let's build three tabernacles and let's just stay here. And they left. 
And God said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Stop talking and listen. Mary, she knew. Martha and Mary, Mary, she knew how to stop talking and listen. Martha didn't have it figured out yet. And that's all good. No condemnation on Martha. But Mary knew how to stop talking and listen. But on the day of Pentecost, God says, I'm going to use Peter. Because I know Peter. When he gives it, he'll give it 100. I'm not saying John wouldn't. But when Peter gives it, he's going to give it. He's going to give it from a perspective of not self-righteousness or judgment, but of passion from my love. Because he's going to know my love. He's going to know my love probably more than any of the others because he's, he's experienced it firsthand. Come on, somebody. That's good right there. The word rooted means this. In that passage of Scripture, the word rooted means this. <clears throat> to strengthen with roots, to render firm, to fix or establish, to cause a person or thing to be thoroughly grounded. Colossians 2, 1 through 5 in the New Living Translation. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. <clears throat> I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you're living as you should and that your faith is in, in Christ is strong. He said, I want you to be encouraged and knit together <clears throat> by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. The word knit together is the Greek word, <laughs> is your daily chuckle, sumbibazo. And it means compacted. We see it in Ephesians 4.16. It means to drive together, to unite. Listen, the picture is that through the love of God, each believer becomes intertwined with and inseparable from other believers. The end result of this kind of love is that revelation knowledge of Christ in us abounds. So it means to drive together, to unite. <clears throat> That's from Strong's Concordance. And it's a picture of believers who are so intertwined that they're inseparable from other believers. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which, by what every joint supplies. He said that as we speak the truth in love, as we care enough to speak the truth in love to one another, he says we grow up in him, into him, who is the head, Christ. <clears throat> this is the same word knit together. It's the same word, sumbabazo, uh, or probably different if you pronounce it with a Greek accent. It says in Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of our Father and of Christ. Colossians 2, 19 says, and not holding the head from which all of the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. So what is all that saying? This is speaking about how the body of Christ can only function to its full potential when every part, every part of the body does its job. The only way that we're going to see Jesus get the glory due his name is when the body is not fractionated, but they're together. They're knit together, and they understand that uh, the gifts around me are there for the strength of everyone. You know, I, I love, y'all know that, I love to sing. I'm a worshiper. I possibly could have scared somebody yesterday. I was mowing my yard. I had my Bluetooth headset on. I had my phone on my hip. I had Bethel going. I had it plugged in. The lawnmower was running, and I was singing. I wasn't singing under my breath. I was singing. Our houses aren't that far apart. Just saying, my, my house is as close to here to that wall on one side and here to that wall on the other side. And I was singing. I'm walking out through that. I'm not I'm walking one time. I'm walking mowing. I got my hand in the air like this. I'm, I got a self-propelled mower. I'm blessed. <laughs> I got that puppy pushed in. I got my hand in the air. I'm, I'm jumping like this. and run. I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling you the truth. And, I'm, and I, I get to the end of my backyard, and I look up, and there's a lady sitting behind her house. <laughs> On the other side of the creek, and I said, well, maybe she didn't hear me because the lawnmower's running. And, but you know what? I didn't care. I said, I don't care. I am not singing for her. I'm singing. For, I sang until my throat got dry. I started coughing until my eyes started watering, so I had to quit singing for a minute because <clears throat> I was singing with everything. If I was male and I had pipes like males got, I'd have probably cut the lawnmower off and looked at the woman and started singing. <laughs> <laughs> I was rocking some Bethel. I don't even remember what I was singing. He loves you. He really loves you. It's off the new album. Anyway, I was singing to the Lord. But you know what? That's not my gift. And in the body, if we don't make room for gifts, then we don't give them the opportunity to take the gift and present it to him. Because I'm convinced there's too many who have it in a napkin. And they've got it covered up. 
because they're scared that their gift doesn't look like someone else's gift. And you know what? That's awesome. It's not supposed to look like someone else's look. God did not create copies. They're all originals. That's why there's not one other person on the earth that has a finger, a thumbprint like mine. Well, especially this one, because this one kind of looks like, don't say it, don't say it. This one's got a boo-boo on it, where I split it when I was a little boy. Come up our service and I'll show you what it looks like. But <laughs> it doesn't look like a normal thumb. But we all have unique thumbprints because God created us uniquely. And the same is true in the body. There are giftings in this body right here that excite me. And I go, Lord, I'm honored that you allow me to walk beside this amazing group of people for your honor and your glory. And I'm telling you, our strength is in him. He said that we have to be rooted and grounded in him. I'll read one other passage and I'll close. I haven't even said I was closing yet, so I'm still good. This is the first and last, Jeff. <laughs> Colossians 2, 6 through 32. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't even think there's 32 verses there in Colossians 2. <laughs> I just want to get some of you nervous. Verse 6 says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I was listening to someone teach the other day, and I don't know if I shared this or not, but it was so powerful because they said, nowhere in Scripture are we told to imitate Christ. Well, not that we're not told. He said, be ye imitators of Christ, as uh, Paul said that. But what he said, this pastor said, is but what we are instructed to do is to feed on him. In John chapter 6, where there was a great falling away, Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And it said, many left from following me at that point. And he looked at the 12 and said, are you going too? And they said, where are we going to go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. You're the only one who has truth. So as we partake of him, uh, Corinthians 3 says, beholding him, we're transformed from glory to glory. So as we see Jesus, we're transformed into the image of who he is in us. And we allow him to be seen through us. But it says here, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up where? In him. And established where? In the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it, in what? In thanksgiving and in faith. Abounding in faith with thanksgiving. That word abound means this. It's perisio uh, in uh, Greek, and it means to superabound, to be in excess, to be superfluous, which means extravagant, to cause, to superabound, or to excel. Okay, one more verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says this, well, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us, same word, in all wisdom and prudence, and having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. And we did early in our, uh, when we were in the other building, we did a study of Ephesians chapter 1. We were going to do the book of Ephesians, and after about six months, we got through two or three chapters. We moved on. But here, what he talks about, he said, the last verse says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So what he's saying is, when we understand that we're in him, and I believe this is not the millennial reign. I believe when you study this in context of Ephesians chapter 1, which I won't do for sake of time, but you study it in the context of Ephesians chapter 1, he's not saying, well, this is when the millennial reign starts, when Christ is here on earth. In the context, he's talking about a right now time. And he said, in Christ, he took what was in heaven and in earth, and he brought it together in Christ, and he placed that in us. And he said, as you understand that, then you can be Christ on the earth. That's a good word right there. And we'll abound. We'll be superfluous. We'll have in excess. Not just enough to get by. We'll have in excess what's needed because we're not doing it out of our sufficiency or our ability. We're doing it out of who he is in us. The mystery. What's that mystery? Christ in us. The hope, the confident expectation of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The manifested presence of God. (laughs) That's our inheritance because of the finished work of Jesus. And it's important that we don't, it's not a thing, well, I got it, it's mine, I'm going to flaunt it. It's the thing where we say, I'm in him, he's in me, and we're in the body. And together, the body is going to see Jesus glorified in the earth. Amen?